Well, my hope this morning is that I give you something that will encourage you and help you maybe understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus a little better than when you started here today. And uh, I'm going to ask for your prayers in that. And in fact, let's just ask the Lord to bless us right now as we study His Word together, okay? Father, You gave us the Word. You share this with us. And so now we're grateful that we have this. Be with me as the speaker. Be with all of us, including me, as the listeners. And I pray that that we will have a greater encouragement and understanding of what it means to be your students, your disciples, learners of the way of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we often go through these title slides, and I want you to just take a closer look at this title slide. I want you to behold its beauty and its majesty and how wonderfully it's been designed. Now that you're over that, um, notice the subtitle, Basic Instructions and Divine Wisdom to Equip You for Following Jesus. There's some thought that goes into that. That this is, in the one hand, basic, but it's also divine. As much as it's basic, it comes of a heavenly origin. And it equips you. When somebody's equipped, that means they're ready for action. They're ready to do something. If you feel ill-equipped, or if you haven't been equipped, then you might feel like you're not sure if you can do something. But I want you to know that the message today is we are equipped. Let's go to the Word of God in 2 Peter chapter 1. By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all this by coming to know Him the one who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. And because of His glory and excellence, He has given us great and precious promises. Now, these are the promises that enable you to share His divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. And moral excellence with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with patient endurance. And patient endurance with godliness. And godliness with with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their old sins. So, Dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those that God has called and chosen. Do these things, and you will never fall away. Then God will give you 
a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's the Word of God for us today. Now, I want you to know that there are a lot of different philosophies that we can live by. We can be a disciple of anything or anyone. You've got a variety of philosophies you live by. They're not all necessarily religious. Some of them sound very good. Uh, You can live by the principle that we ought to do that, which brings the maximum benefit to as many people as possible. That sounds pretty reasonable. Uh, We can live by the philosophy that um, whatever we would have somebody else do, we should do the same thing. Uh, We might just live by the philosophy that, hey, life is short and you've got to enjoy it, and so do all you can. There's all sorts of philosophies we can devote ourselves to. Some of them are good, some of them sound good, some of them don't sound so good. But there's a difference with the way of Jesus, and I'm going to tell you what that is. In fact, we can even live by different rules for life. And everybody's got their list. Five rules, ten rules, twelve rules, eight rules, whatever it is. These are the rules that you live by. And it's, it's kind of good. It gives, you a, it gives you an insight into what other people are doing for themselves. And of course, those rules can also become restrictive. Saying that you have to do it this way. You can even embed those into a religion. It is possible for us to craft the culture of the church of Jesus into a program or into a set of rules so that we become a kind of religious party with certain positions. And all we do is spend our time in meetings saying, what's the church's position on this? What's the church's position on that? What's the church's position on that? And we can craft language and we can come up with ideas and it never has to impact the way we live. As long as we believe certain things. That can happen. And I don't think that's very good. And then our way of Jesus becomes nothing more than not breaking the rules. As long as you did the worship the right way, as long as you did this the right way, as long as you did that the right way. And then God takes care of the rest and then that's it. But there's a difference. There's a difference in the way of Jesus. No other way is like it. And here's the divine difference. No other philosophy, no other religion, no other set of rules is going to equip you with the power to carry it out. Because in the way of Jesus, we are equipped with God's power. God gives us His divine power to live out the godly character. No other way is going to open the possibility of growing in divine nature. I mean, we actually get to participate in God's character. Some of the old teachers and philosophers and uh, theologians of the church used to say, God became like us so that we could become more like Him. And it's growth. We'll get to, I want to unpack that and what that means in just a moment. The other thing, the other divine difference is that in all of this that we're doing, we're getting ready for an eternal kingdom. And I want you to know that that's very different 
than what we've often called going to heaven. I'll get to that in just a moment too. Let's start with the first one though. Equipped with divine power. Right there in verses 3 and 4, he says, by His divine power, you have been given everything that you need for a godly life. The word there is the same word that we get dynamo from. I like the word dynamo. I don't know what it is about dynamo. I mean, if you've got you know, batteries, that's one thing. If you've got you know, fuel, that's one thing. But when you have a dynamo, you feel like you can do anything. I don't even, I'm not even entirely sure what makes a dynamo a dynamo. But here he's using that term and he's saying, you've got a godly dynamo power pack in being a disciple. The ability and the power to do it is plugged into this. He has given that to you as a gift. Following Jesus in the way of Jesus is not something that has an asterisk on it that says batteries not included. It's not a gee whiz kind of a thing and then you've got to supply your own power and energy. No. Peter says, in fact, this isn't even possible unless he's giving us the power. We are powerless, but he has the power and he's sharing it with us. So the way that you and I become more like him is through his power working in us. He does it. That doesn't mean that we're just passengers. It means that He's equipping and supplying and giving us what we need to grow. To grow into, and, the, and the, here's, here's what it's all shooting for. It's like, well, what does it do? What's it all about? Godly excellence. There's a Greek word there. It's arete. And arete means the excellence, the character, the goodness of God. And later on in that list of virtues, it's going to be mentioned again. Some of your translations are going to say the goodness uh, it's going to say the, the moral excellence. It's the same thing. But we're developing in that because God's power is at work in us. And, and, it, and Peter says, you know, it's not just a matter of what you know. I mean, certainly knowing things. He mentions knowledge. But that knowledge there is about more than just knowing facts and figures. It's certainly more than knowing well, what are our positions and what are our policies and what are we supposed to say about this and what are we supposed to say about that? Because all that does is get us into endless debates which Paul says are worthless. Here, the knowledge is personal. We don't just know something, we know someone. He's really taking a divine twist on the old idea it's not what you know, it's who you know. We have a connection. We have a connection to the One who's showing us how we ought to live. So, I want you to understand, on those days when you feel like, I don't know that I can do this, you can't. <laughs> you can't. Not on your own. But with God's power, you can do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. Um, this is what... Robert was saying as he led us into the communion that if we stop and focus inward on ourselves and what we have to do and everything, if all the burden is on us, then we're doomed. Because we're not worthy. But the one who is worthy 
invites us to His table so that He might nurture us and feed us and give us strength. It may not be instant, but He's going to do it for us and with us and in us. We just have to show up and receive it. Which leads to the next thing, the growing in the divine nature. This is the other truth that I want you to take with you today. Peter uses this interesting term. He says we share in God's character. We share in the divine nature. The word there is the word that Christians use for sharing in one another's lives. You've heard that word before in some form. Koinonia. We fellowship. He's saying we get to fellowship with God. We get to come and, and, and know our God. Our God is not far away and removed and is just going to show up and judge us when it's all over. No, He's working with us so that we may pass the test. Not just in judgment, but every day. He is with us to equip us and change us. God is not just saving us for one moment in time. He's continually in the process of saving us every moment of our lives. Helping us to overcome the corruption in the world. That's not just hereafter, that's right now. Christ is teaching us. He's showing us how to show compassion. How to treat one another better. How to worship more fully. How to appreciate and be more grateful about the things that we have. How to endure hardships. How to help others. And and then you have those virtues. Did you see the direction that they went? Everything from faith to love. And there's a lot of things in there that are really great. If you watch how they progress, faith is where we start. Faith is trust. You just trust in God. you got to start out with just believing. Okay. From that, you can get to the end of that stair step where we are starting to practice love for everyone. Oh, and that can, that can develop and show in a lot of different ways. But I want you to know today, and, and there's, there's lessons, series that can be taught on verses 5-9. through nine. But for now, you dwell on that, you read that, keep up your Bible reading, make some notes when you get there. For now, just understand, this is a growth process. The way Paul says it, is he's in agreement with Peter. In 1 Corinthians 1, he says that the cross is the power of God for those of us who are being saved. It is a real-time process happening leading up to that day that we call the day of the Lord. So we're called to live productive and useful lives with the divine power, We're able to take on that divine character. And we have a calling. Um, His excellence is the template that, that sets out the standards and the description of that productive and useful life. In fact, I want to note here, as we get to the next point, why our term about going to heaven may not be as accurate as we think. Now, keep in mind, do I want to go to heaven? Yeah, I do. And you should too. 
And the, the alternative is not in any way desirable. And when people ask, you know, well, what's hell like? How about we just not find out? How about that? We just stay away from it. Because there's an alternative that's given to us and we're invited to it. And we don't have to suffer it because of what Jesus Christ did for us. So let's just start with faith and then we start working with love for everyone. But when we talk about this eternal kingdom that we're moving into, being ready for it, sometimes I think we see heaven as the reward or the prize. That if you do everything you're supposed to do and don't mess up, then you get it. And a lot of our anxiety comes from the fact that we think, you know, there might be one thing that I mess up and then it's all lost. And and, and even though some of us are... Now listen, years at this, I'm going to tell you that preaching to you is often different than, than to some that I talk to. Because to some people, they think, I'm an F student. I'm never getting above 50%. And they need to hear hope like they've never heard hope before. For many of us, we're A, B, and C students. And we're thinking, you know, I'll, I'll just never, I'll never get above 90%. I'll never just get there. And, and we worry, some of us, that we're not going to make 100%. And we're worried about messing up one question on the test and coming in at 98 and failing, and we won't have the perfect GPA. And it just makes us all anxious, and we all get anxious. And Let's just stop all that, okay? Because I don't think that's the best way of looking at it. We look at this as a prize, as a reward, as something that's sort of a payoff for all of our efforts. We'll still talk about God's grace, but we're, you know, in the end, we got to get there. What if instead we looked at this not as a reward, but is a scholarship. When you get a scholarship, or you get a donation to study, or to do a good work, the money's not held back until it's all finished. You get the scholarship on the front end. A benevolent source comes in and says, here, it's been given to you. Now you can lose it you can lose it by not living up to it but what if instead we saw this as God in his divine power he's given us a scholarship as disciples and he's saying you know what I'm investing in you because there's a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells and I want you to be prepared and equipped for it that's his promise if we receive that promise, then we realize what's been invested and we strive energetically and with enthusiasm to live that out. What we're saying is our future is not determined by everything that we do now, but everything we do now is determined by the future that God has in mind. The things that you and I do are not going to change God's future. It may change whether we participate in that future, but God has His future written out. And if we really grasp that, then we know the way that this is going. 
If you know there's a threat of harm coming your way, you're going to get out of the way. If you know that there's something good coming your way, you're going to invest in it. You're going to lean into it. One of the things that we discussed at this session that the leaders had with uh, our, our, our friend Dr. Carson Reed yesterday, he said, you know, we've got to think about the future and realize that that's God at work and He's coming in this direction towards us. How are we living towards that future even now? And when you stop and think about that, that makes things so different. When we can get so anxious about failure, when we realize, wait a second, if we just trust in God, if we do what He says, if we live up with His divine power by the, by the scholarship that He's given us, and we grow in His divine nature, then we're getting ready for the eternal kingdom. We're getting ready for it because we know it's out there. Let me give you another little image because I want, I want one of these to, to connect with you as you're thinking about it. The things that we do now might be in preparation for what we're going to do and what we're going to be in the future. Let's say that you're getting ready to move to another country where they speak a different language. Or maybe you're going on a trip. You know, they have these commercials all the time where, you know, Babette's going to learn French or something like that so that she can tell the taxi cab driver she wants to go to the airport. Oh, man. She's just so happy and she gets the app and she's learning all the languages and all that. And we get to be excited about it. Some of you have gone on trips. Some of you have gone on mission programs. And you've had to learn the language. You start learning the language and you start thinking in that language. And you start using that language. And you start practicing that language. But you're not in that country yet. No, but you know you've got to do it now. Okay. So that when you get there, it will be second nature for you. And you might even learn about their culture and how they are. And you might pick up on some of those things and you might say, I've got to remember this and I've got to remember that. I've got to take certain things with me and I've got to get these things prepared for, for my life over there. But you're not there yet. No, you're not. But you're getting ready for it. That's a lot what being a disciple is like. That is certainly a good description of what being a disciple is like. The new heaven and the new earth are a place where righteousness dwells. Sin and evil have been eradicated. But we're not there yet. No. But we're getting ready for it. And so we're living that out right now. We're learning the language of the country that we're going to. We're learning the culture of the country that we're going to. When we come together in here, when we're having the Lord's Supper, that's not just a checklist token so that we can say, hey Lord, look, i got all my communions taken care of. We're learning what it means to be at the table with our King. We're practicing for the new heaven and the new earth. We are in rehearsal. We are in readiness. In fact, we start to grow in it so much that we just start to say, you know what, we're there now. And then God will take care of the trip. That's what being a disciple is all about. And so what I want to ask you to consider today is, the divine promise and His patience. Because like I said, that future is certain. God's promised it. It's going to happen. But we're not there yet. We're not there yet. But we're so confident that it's going to happen 
It is as if it has already happened. Now, we want to be in that future. And that's why He gives us His promise, but He also gives us His patience. In 2 Peter 3.9, you go forward a few chapters and He says, the Lord's patient with you. Well, we need to hear that. Our friends need to hear that. You've got family members that need to hear that. Too many people live today thinking, God's not patient with me. God just wants to smack me down every time I make a mistake. He's not happy with me at all. Bible, folks, the Lord is patient with you. Yeah, well, God just can't wait to send people to hell. Not wanting anyone to perish. Why do you think God has waited and is doing all this? Because He wants us there in that future. Can we accept that? He wants everybody to come to repentance. Now, think about that word repentance. That's a word that sometimes we load up with a lot of anxiety. Oh, repentance. That means that we need to get down on our knees. We have to crawl over glass. That means that we got to, oh, we're sorry, sorry, sorry. Church, repentance is a word that we ought to be celebrating. Repentance is a word that we ought to embrace. Because repentance means a turnaround. Let me give you a little analogy on repentance, okay? Let me, in fact, just use, because I'm, I'm, I'm a... I'm a paid Razorback fan, okay? They have some of my money from long ago. I'm sure they've spent it by now. But with this upcoming season and all the sorrow and loss of joy in the Razorback nation, do you think anybody wants them to continue in that? Oh, there might be a few other schools that do. Honestly, I think everybody's just got a lot of sympathy. But if somehow... They should turn it around in the upcoming football or basketball season. And somehow they should turn it around and they go on and win the championship. That's repentance. Turning it around. So we would celebrate. Oh, that's wonderful. If your team that didn't make it into the Super Bowl this go-round turns it around next season, you're going to... I know Cowboys fans... I'm thinking of you. Yeah, if that happens, then you're going to be happy. You're going to celebrate. Repentance is a good term. And you don't need to be ashamed of it. Because it's turning it around. And God is patient. So don't, don't look at that. I know it can be tough. And I know it can be hard. But you need to know we need to celebrate it. Sometimes when we get together for worship, we always have a moment. I loved it that uh, somebody responded last week and said, I just need help. You know, you might need to turn it around for a lot of reasons. Maybe you've been heading in the wrong direction. Or maybe you've thought you haven't realized how much God wants you to thrive and survive. Maybe you need some encouragement. That's great. You can let somebody know today. You can come up here and let us know about that. You can tell anybody today. But we want to know how we can do that. If you're online, communicate with us. I'm, I'm happy to see that. We are all happy to see that. So, let's stand and sing and let's take encouragement with the promises of God.